0: Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, nursing professor, and mom of four teens. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We will explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. My co-host for this series will be Pastor Brian Haynes, who will guide us through the spiritual impacts and help us grow our faith. Let's explore conversation keys together and get started. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Dr. Nurse Mama Podcast. We're talking about divorce, How to Find Forgiveness and Raise Resilient Kids. I hope you have your copy of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We are talking about book chapter seven today. Okay, so right up front, let me say, this episode is for everyone, divorced or not. We are going to explore all things resilience. There's something in this episode for you No matter where you are in life with relationships. All right, let's dive in. I'm going to take you back to 1994, when researchers from Kaiser Permanente surveyed a large group of adults in California and asked them about their exposure to adverse childhood experiences—that's something we call ACEs—and then compared it to their adult health outcomes. ACEs in this survey included physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, physical or emotional neglect, Family history of mental illness, substance abuse, divorce, mother treated violently, or incarceration. Now, hang with me here because the results were stunning. With the presence of four or more of those ACEs, people were. 14 times more likely to commit suicide, 4.5 times more likely to develop depression, 11 times more likely to abuse substances, and at greater risk for obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, stroke, lung disease, the list goes on and on. It's the first time researchers realized, in conjunction with mapping the human genome, that If we don't learn how to respond to stress effectively in a healthy way, it can change the way our DNA is read and transcribed, and we can pass that on to future generations. Pediatrician Dr. Nadine Burke Harris puts it this way, if you're in the woods and you're camping or hiking and you run into a bear, you are going to be ready to fight that bear or run away from that bear, unless you're like my husband who actually wants to ride the bear. I do not recommend that. Regardless, a bear will activate your stress system, and that's a good thing if you're in the woods and there is a bear. But with chronic stress, we take that bear home with us, and we live with that bear in a constant state of stress. Our life has changed since the pandemic. It became a bear living in our house. Our teens are facing stressors of gigantic proportions. One of those stressors is divorce, but there are many others. Some life stressors we can prevent, but some things we can't. Okay, listen, before you get depressed, there is hope. The best predictor of preventing a stress response from becoming toxic is by developing resilience, and the greatest predictor of resilience for teens is the presence of one supportive adult in a teen's life. I'm going to spend the rest of our time together reviewing for you the incredible work of pediatrician Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg, who wrote a book about resilience— I'm going to tell you about the seven C's of resilience he outlines to help us raise resilient kids, and I'm going to share with you some practical applications to develop them. Are you ready for a speed round? Number one, competence. Competence is feeling like you can handle stressful situations well. Here are ways you can nurture competence in your teens. Find opportunities to practice decision-making. Start with two choices, both of which you can live with. It could be as simple as, would you like tacos or spaghetti for dinner? Soon, you'll find yourself helping them choose colleges. Oh, sniff, sniff. I'm right in the middle of that. It's tough. Teens need to feel confident in their decision-making. When your teens make a mistake, focus on the behavior in that situation rather than generalized character accusations. Contrary to popular belief, teens are listening intently to what you say, particularly to what you say about them. You want to get a teen's attention? Start talking about them. And remember, they believe what you say about them. Saying, I see you're struggling with fill in the blank, is a lot different than, why are you always so, or why do you have to be? Knowing where your teen fits and is equipped to contribute builds competence by knowing what to do and how to help in a stressful situation. Think about each of your children. What is the greatest strength or gift they bring to your family? If you can't answer that in 15 seconds, neither can they. Help them feel competent by knowing and contributing through their strength. If that's being funny, if that's hospitality, if that is leadership, help them to do that. I want you to think about situations where you try to protect your teen. Are you sending a message of protection or are you telling them without words? I don't really believe you're capable of handling this. Is there something your teen wishes you would trust them to be able to do on their own without your help? Something to think about. Last incompetence. Siblings are wonderfully unique, but some rivalry is normal. Diminish fighting by celebrating individual differences and spend time together as a family. Punishment should be fair, but not equal. And kept private between each parent and child. Make sure you're not subtly sending a signal to one child that you prefer their company over another who is struggling. All right, number two, confidence. This is your teen's belief in their own abilities, and it follows confidence. How do you nurture confidence? Well, first, focus on the best qualities of your teen. Often we get frustrated and derailed by those things that are our perpetual struggle, the things that are a work in progress. Don't let that struggle define their character. Remind them who they are, the strength you identified earlier. If you believe it, they'll believe you. All teens have phases struggling with a particular issue. It can be frustrating for both parent and teen. In these days of struggle especially, it's important to celebrate victories, no matter how small they are. Seek opportunities to praise your teen. Were they on time? Did they complete a chore? Did they have a cheerful countenance or say a kind word to a sibling? Look at those areas to see where is your teen feeling defeated Praise them honestly and authentically for specific accomplishments and small progress in that struggle. For example, instead of saying, You're so brave, say, I admire your courage to speak in front of a large audience. You would be surprised to know how much your teen craves and cherishes those words of affirmation. Let me ask you a question, parents What is the greatest compliment you've ever been given? Mm, I Bet you remember it, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if your teens said it was something you said to them? I'll tell you the greatest compliment I've ever been given. It's from my own teens. I was talking about sexting publicly at their school, no less. And I wondered if it embarrassed them. They said, no, I'm glad we can bring our friends to you to talk about uncomfortable things honestly some days i'd just like to be the mom who makes the best snacks but here i am gifted with emotional enemas if you've read behind closed doors you know all right let's get back to confidence listen life is really busy sometimes we overlook the good things the small everyday accomplishments it's easy to do when negative behavior is naturally more demanding of our attention Try every day to find one good thing your teen has done and specifically acknowledge it to them. As parents, we sometimes push our teens to do more than they're physically, academically, or emotionally ready to handle. Think of an area of conflict you're having and consider what might happen if you back off just a bit. Instead of nagging them or scoffing yes, we scoff all the time as parents consider asking, What would it take for you to feel confident about doing fill-in-the-blank? What do you need from me to help you get there? Okay, number three, connection. When kids feel safe in their own homes, development thrives and connections flourish. Discipline should never be delivered from a place of anger, but communicated with love and respect in the presence of clear preset boundaries. Giving teens a safe space to express their emotions without judgment or censure makes them more open to sharing honestly with you. Accept the emotion and guide the action. For example, say, It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to retaliate. Or, It's okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to be disrespectful. Creating an intentional physical space for family connection Bonus if it's in a tech free zone is a great investment. It could be a gaming table, a chair in your child's room, an outdoor fire pit, or a comfy sofa. Personally, I have a counseling chair in my office where my kids are free to make an appointment or just plop down without one. What is your teen's favorite place in your home to spend time together? Can you do anything to make that space? more inviting, or cozy, or to make yourself more available in that specific space. Dedicating intentional effort to foster healthy relationships in your teen's life builds an important network of connections that will be there in times of need for support. Offer to host a pizza party. Have outdoor movies on the driveway. Make your home a welcome place to hang out. Think about the friendships in your teen's life. What friendship makes them feel the most supported and safe? What friend helps them to be their best self? How can you nurture that friendship? Communicating authentic feelings in a way that is respectful takes practice. Start with a family discussion of some basic ground rules, such as no yelling, no eye rolling. We will allow each person uninterrupted time to talk. And we'll verbalize back what we hear. For example, I hear you saying it hurts your feelings when I give you the silent treatment. True confession that may or may not have come out of my own household from my own teen and guilty as charged. Okay, we're on number four, character. Teens with character have a strong sense of self-worth. They know their values and they stick to them. Shared faith and spiritual disciplines improve your family health. A Harvard study found children who attend church were 18% more likely to be happier in their 20s, 30% more likely to do volunteer work, and 33% less likely to use substances. Regular prayer has similar positive effects. What could you do to strengthen your family's spiritual life? It takes a village to raise a child. Family, school, faith, and community partnerships have a lasting impact on child learning and development. Volunteering opportunities exist in local schools, churches, mentoring programs, food banks, blood drives, animal shelters, libraries, and foundations. Developmentally, it takes time and teaching to learn how your actions impact others. Model your thought process out loud in decision making. Evaluate the pros and cons. Respect related rules or laws. Talk about how the decision makes you feel. Help your teens develop analytical thinking, decisiveness, and empathy. Ask out loud how will this decision about whatever you're considering impact others? Number five, contribution. Contributing to the world helps teens realize the world is a better place because they are in it. Understanding the importance of personal contribution can serve as a source of purpose and motivation. Create opportunities to contribute or serve in some way and give positive reinforcement for it. Think about what service project you could do together as a family. Number 6. Coping Teens who have a wide range of coping skills are better equipped to face life stressors. This could be social skills or stress reduction skills. Teens need to have a variety of tools in their toolbox and the patience to try different ones until they find the right one for the situation. This could be something as simple as breathing exercises, taking a walk, calling a friend, listening to music. Or something as complex as counseling or cognitive behavioral therapy. Here's a tough and pretty personal question. Are you ready? How do you deal with stress? Your teen will mimic that. I confess, I hermit, I isolate myself, not good. I have to learn to seek connections and not push away people who love me as an unhealthy coping mechanism. All right, number seven, last is control. When teens can appreciate being in control of their decisions, they can be equipped to make intentional choices to put them on a healthy path. Listen, this is really important here. Listen closely. There are a lot of current situations teens face that are completely out of their control. They cannot control COVID. They cannot control divorce, poverty, violence, and so many other scary things. Here's the thing. The more out of control their lives feel, the more they will seek control somewhere. Often that is through disordered eating behaviors. It can be through controlling substance abuse or self-harming behaviors. If your child is facing a lot of things out of their control, seek healthy outlets for that. Give them control of something. Menu planning, family vacation details, organizing a service project, something for that outlet. During the pandemic, I gave my oldest daughter a budget and a vision and asked her to redecorate the half bathroom with total control, and it turned out beautifully. Now, of all these seven things, you probably should go back, listen again, and this time take some notes, see your strengths, and your opportunities to strengthen the resilience you're building into your teen to face life's toughest challenges. Well, it's time to welcome back Pastor Brian to the show. Thank you so much for being here, Pastor of Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School in League City. And Brian, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, today we are talking about divorce. And divorce, out of all of these issues we're talking about, is the most common issue that we're going to discuss. It impacts about half of families, and Christian families are certainly not immune. Sometimes families experiencing divorce may be hesitant to go to church because they're afraid of being judged. How can the church support families who are experiencing divorce?
1: I think the best way that we can do that is simply uh, be inclusive of people that are struggling with divorce and also provide helps for them. So, counseling for the myriad of issues that uh stem from divorce as well as programs like divorce care or divorce care for kids to really help us as uh, as the people going through divorce or our children who are watching this all go down and being impacted uh really navigate that in healthy ways and i think that just says to people if you have programs and opportunities like that it says to people you're welcome here even in your uh, struggle your pain
0: That's so good. So, some families may not even be aware that such a ministry exists, but that's a great tip to look for that and to see because that's a good sign that they're prepared to walk you through that. Mm -hmm. Well, in Behind Closed Doors, I talked about how unfortunate it is that we chose to call out homes experiencing divorce as the singular brand of broken homes. And I know there are many families out there listening right now who are experiencing a different kind of brokenness because certain choices or or illnesses of others that are beyond their control. So how can these families see the difference between forgiveness and healthy boundaries?
1: That's a really great question. And I think people do struggle, um, especially when a family sort of divides because of the sins of another person. And how do you you navigate that? How do you deal with that? And one thing I like to clarify for people is that forgiveness is very different than granting people a pass or unlimited access. So for me to forgive someone is to work through the process of saying, what you did hurt, but it doesn't define me. And by the grace of God, I've been forgiven for many things. And so I am also gonna offer you the same forgiveness in hopes that that person on the other end of that will reciprocate with, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but they may not, it's on them. So we offer that forgiveness. Um, and that's, that's really for our own good, to let go of things that have been so wounding so that bitterness doesn't grow and it doesn't define our lives. But it doesn't mean, forgiving them doesn't mean that I have to grant them an all-access pass to my life because I saw them, I know who they are, I know what they're capable of. And so a healthy boundary would be, um, but uh you will no longer be able to xy or z in the context of my own life so i might block them uh on my phone i might choose not to interact with them in ways that i would have before but i but just because i forgive them doesn't mean that i have to grant them uh all ac- this all access pass that says okay everything was okay is okay and it's just back to normal now no Probably, probably not. Uh, Everything is not okay, but I forgive you. So sometimes people get those two things confused. I think, I think boundaries come with experience. And forgiveness is part of healing, but boundaries likely need to stay and or be put in place.
0: I think that can be hard for a parent who maybe is trying to forgive their spouse for Mm -hmm. what they did, whatever betrayal or abuse that might have happened Mm -hmm. there. And shepherding their kids through that, like trying to model forgiveness, but healthy boundaries and how much pressure that might be. Can you talk a little bit to the support that we can give parents as they're trying to,
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: know, just guard their children's hearts against bitterness?
1: Yes. So, uh in one sense, it is so, it's, divorce can be really, really messy. And it's in some sense, we don't have control over everything and all the impacts and how it plays out and those kinds of things. But when it comes to shepherding our children's heart, um, I think it's important that they understand the why in appropriate ways. So there are inappropriate ways to share the why. Uh, you don't have to um, share all the gory details, but they need to understand the why in appropriate ways. And and that will help them understand why they have certain boundaries. Um, like, uh, you know, why why is daddy not living at our mm-hmm. house anymore? Or- why am i not allowed to be unsupervised with mom mm-hmm. you know i think they have to understand the why in appropriate ways and i think that parents make a mistake when they don't share that why in inappropriate ways because then it leaves the child to fill in the blank and usually they fill in the blank with you know if i'm if i'm the one setting the boundary then i'm the one that's evil uh, or wrong And so we just have to give them enough of the why uh, to help them understand. And as they grow, we kind of coach them through that. We hope for reconciliation. We work toward reconciliation, uh, spouse to spouse, child to parent, all of that. Uh, But I think helping them understand why is important.
0: I Completely agree with that and giving it to them in a developmentally appropriate way. Mm -hmm. I think what you say sometimes is not even as important as how you say it. Correct. And and children are so perceptive to our emotions and how we feel about certain things. And they respond a lot of times more to the emotion than we have, uh, than they do to our words. But I know that there are parents listening today who are thinking, I'm not divorced. This doesn't apply to me. And maybe things look good on the outside for them, but inside the walls of their home, there is hurt, maybe distance, maybe dysfunction in their marriage relationship, but they're not divorced. Can you speak words of encouragement to those families who maybe just feel like they're stuck in a rut of miserable and are wondering, like, how do we make a new
1: forward? Sure. Sure. Well, it is very easy in a marriage and family to get stuck in that kind of rut, and it can be perpetual and wounding. It may not cause divorce, but it can be perpetually wounding and dysfunctional. And so when we recognize that one or the other spouse recognizes that, we need to take action to uh, reverse the cycle. And really, the only way that that is even possible is to to change how things work. And usually we don't know how to do that on our own. And so best case scenario is if the the husband and wife, the married couple can agree like this is dysfunctional and we need some help. And they can go and sit down uh, with a counselor for uh, some guidance about how to break sort of the hamster wheel cycle uh, that's going on in the context of their home. You know, Quickly, I always hear, well, my husband won't go to counseling or mm-hmm. my wife won't go to counseling. And, and I say, okay, then you go to counseling because th- you really have no control over your spouse. You can only change you. You can only make decisions about you. And so if you can go to counseling and you can get some direction about how to make a change inside of you that might make a difference in this this dysfunctional cycle in the home; those are steps forward. But to do nothing means that that cycle is only going to continue and and likely get get worse.
0: Well, those are really practical points and i hope that whoever is out there listening and that's you that you will go back and listen because we've talked in previous episodes about how to take that step how to access mental health care how to out- access counseling and if you are out there listening thinking this is you this is you and this is your time here's your sign and pastor brian thank you so much as always for giving us wisdom delivered with grace and truth
1: thanks for having me
0: Well, that concludes episode eight. I want to give a special shout out to all those bonus parents who are just doing absolutely amazing things and loving kids well and promoting a journey of healing and hope. We hope you join us next time. Here's your homework. Read chapter seven of Behind Closed Doors and do all the activities. Your legacy letter is an opportunity to share about your marriage, being sensitive to your situation and where your heart is at. So check out your options. Find me on Spotify and check out the forgiveness themed playlist. Last but not least, subscribe at DrNurseMama.com to access all the resources waiting just for you. See you next time on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, home of happy parents and healthy teens. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show. Connect with us online at DrNurseMama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at DrNurseMama. You can find Pastor Brian at BrianHaines.org or on Facebook at Dr. Brian Tune in next time and invite a friend.